you want to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. If you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and look at all the last things Jesus said before he ascended, sometimes the last things you say before you leave is the most important things on your heart. Here's what he said beginning in verse 15. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they'll cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink any, anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And then it says, let's just look at uh, 1920. It says, then after... So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming their word, the, the word with the accompanying signs. Amen. So Jesus is in heaven, but he's in the earth. Wherever they went, he went. Uh, I remember the... That thought first crossed my mind. I was 21 years old, 1978. And it occurred to me that Jesus was in the earth just like 2,000 years ago, walking, talking, touching, healing. And, and it blew my mind to realize. I, I, I had no trouble believing that he died, rose again, was in heaven. But the idea that he'd be working here, healing people in New York City, uh, uh, astonished me. And just a couple days later, I gave my heart to the Lord, but that, that was the thought that crossed my mind. So it says that he's seated in heaven, but he's also going with them wherever they go, doing whatever they do, confirming the word with signs following. And today, that's what I'd like to, to, to talk about. So he says, he says, in my name, look at verse 17, in my name... They will cast out demons. We talked about this quite a bit. I think we took about two weeks on this not too long ago, how to cast out demons. But notice it says, in my name. And Millie sang about that tonight. In my name. In my name is, is in my authority, in my character, in my person. So, uh, for example, um, uh, says that Jesus baptized more disciples than John at one point in his ministry. Then John put in brackets, John the apostle, he said, but Jesus himself didn't baptize anyone. His disciples did it. But they said Jesus baptized more disciples than John. So he was saying it right. Jesus was the one baptizing the disciples, but he didn't get wet. When they did it, it was him doing it. When they did it, it was him because they did it in his name. They did it in his authority. He told them to do it. They did it the way he, he said to do it. It was no different than if he did it. If we do things the way he would do it for the reason he would do it, it's no different than if he was doing it. So 
wherever, verse 20, wherever they went out preaching the gospel, if they did it in his name, they preached sincerely, they preached for the benefit of people to come to know the Lord, they preached and they had the heart of Jesus, they had uh, an expression of who he was, he would work with them doing whatever they did with miraculous power was showing that it was really him doing it, even though he was invisible. They were doing it in his name. Anything you do the way Jesus would do it, for the reasons Jesus would do it, he'll work with you. So um, I, remember, I remember watching this African preacher one time, and, and he got a little excited. He said, my whole body's anointed. No, I'm just not going to lay hands on you. I'm going to lay feet on you. And he began kicking the people in the front, putting his feet on them. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I can't imagine Jesus doing that. So that was him doing it, not in the name of Jesus. He was doing it in his own name. And Jesus wasn't within a mile of it. No miracles happened. Nothing happened. Jesus didn't participate. Jesus didn't cooperate. People could do crazy things in the name of religion and church and spirituality, even in the name of the Holy Spirit, and he's not within a mile of it. All, he, all he's responsible for is what we do in his name. If, if, if we don't, in fact, the demons, the demons, the reason that they flee is because when we do it in we cast them out in his name. It's no different than if Jesus was casting them out. But you could try to do it in your own name and nothing will happen. In fact, they could, they could even uh, rough you up. I've seen that happen. It says that they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing. Now, we don't do that. We don't practice that. We don't see that very often. But the Apostle Paul was bitten by a little viper. When we go to India, we're not, we see big snakes. One time I saw a snake about as big around as my leg crossing the road, and it was the same length as the road was wide. Huge, huge snake. I've seen cobras in different places, but the ones we're concerned about when we walk in the bush are the little ones, the little vipers, the little tiny ones. When they attach themselves to you, you, you'll turn black, swell up, and kill over in a very short time. The apostle Paul was bitten by a little snake. He was collecting firewood. He was a prisoner, he, so he didn't have to do this. But he was just looking after all the other prisoners. He was looking after the soldiers and collecting firewood because he's a servant. He would just do what Jesus would do. Well, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would make a fire and help people become comfortable. And so Paul's collecting firewood. A viper jumps out of the, the wood and latches onto his arm. And everyone says, man, this guy, he must have been, he must be really bad because uh, he didn't die during the shipwreck, but now God's made it. So this guy, he's going to die by viper. And they're just waiting for him to swell up and turn black and die. And he just took that thing and just shook it off over the fire and went back to collecting firewood. And they watched him, and they watched him, and they watched him, and nothing happened. That's what this verse is talking about. In Russia, the Russians knew somewhat of the Bible, and they, they knew this verse. And they would say, are you a believer? Are you a Christian? And they'd say, yes, yes, I'm a Christian. They said, prove that you're a Christian. 
how do you want me to prove that I'm a Christian? They'd give him a vial of poison. Said, the Bible says you can drink this and it won't hurt you. Drink it. And these are people who are being persecuted. These are people who are in prison. The guards would give them a vial of some kind of a homemade poison from the woods that would just normally kill a man. And they would, they would do it under duress. They would do it under persecution. They weren't doing it to show off. They weren't doing it to draw attention to themselves. They weren't boasting. They had a gun to their head, and so they could drink it. And the guards would watch them, and normally just a little bit of that poison would kill, kill a man. And they would just go on and go on, live their life. Different things. They'd, they'd take off all their clothes and make them stand out in the, in the Siberian winters, you know, minus 50 degrees, and the snow would be falling on them. And uh, they would see how long they could last. And different times they would come in and they'd be so warm they'd be perspiring because they were kept by the power of God. There's, there's things that the enemy does, and that's what this was talking about, the context uh, I think has to do with persecution. And it says, um, they shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Do you believe that? That in his name, you can actually lay hands on sick people, not get sick, but actually take away sickness. That's what this is talking about. Jesus taught it. I remember reading this as a brand new believer and I took it as permission I now have permission. I have permission to pray for the sick. I, I want to try this. I, I was so eager to try this out. Uh, Heather and I, we caught a bus, and we're going downtown. And uh, I, I was just weeks old in the Lord, like really brand new. And she was barely, barely a believer. She might have prayed the prayer, but really it was dragging her heels on all of this stuff. And so... Uh, I was eager to do it. I read it. I wanted to try it. Well, I got on the bus, and the guy in the front seat, uh, the first two seats of the bus, uh, we, we got on the bus, saw him, sat behind him, and I, I noticed that he was bouncing. He was bouncing. His whole body was bouncing. So I'm sitting behind him, and my heart breaks thinking, oh, can you imagine going through life like that? Just shaking so bad that he was bouncing in his seat. And uh, as the bus waited for some other passengers, I, I leaned over to Heather. I said, I'm going I'm to pray for that guy. And Heather held my arm. She said, don't you dare. Don't you, not, don't you dare. And so I got up, and I went around, and I, and I got down to the guy's face. And I said, can I pray for you? And he said, would you, would you please I, I, I touched him. Jesus healed him. I mean, all that trembling went away. I, I shared a word with him, gave him some direction, and went and sat down, and he was normal for the rest of the bus ride. Never saw him again after that. But it was this verse. It was this verse. So this whole thing of laying on of hands, it's an old tradition. You see it back in Moses' day. You see it. Abraham receives the blessing. He could lay hands on people. Uh, probably the biggest uh, an account would be Jacob. Jacob's now got a new name. He's called Israel. His son Joseph is the second highest ruler in all the earth under Pharaoh, and Pharaoh calls him father. 
And, and Joseph introduces Pharaoh to Israel. He said, this is my dad. And Israel is so full of faith and so full of the blessing of the Lord. He just believed that if he could lay hands on Pharaoh, touch him, that the blessing would go to him as well. And so he said, can I pray for you? Can I bless you? And, and Pharaoh, who's you know, probably the richest man on earth, uh, wanted that blessing. He could see it in Joseph. He could see it somehow on Israel. And so Israel, little tiny old man, gets up there and lays his hands on Pharaoh, and Pharaoh bows his head. I remember, I'm not sure who all was with me, but we went to Ottawa one time, and we're preaching in a Catholic church, and uh, I had some Catholic friends who were really impacted by my ministry, and normally Catholics wouldn't have anything to do with us, or we wouldn't really do much with them, but they said, would you come and teach and pray for us, and we want to see the gifts of the Spirit, and so I went, and we went to the, the, the Archbishop of Ottawa, uh, actually, the, I think he was the Archbishop of Canada, but he was based in Ottawa. So we went to his home and, and uh, had a meal. We took him some cheese curd. It was such a humble, humble gift, but we love cheese curd from New York. And we thought, well, what do you take the Archbishop of Ottawa? You take him cheese curd, you know, such a homely gift. Uh, but that night, he came to the meetings, and he wanted to see what we're doing. And, and, and we said, we want to pray for people. And if you come forward, we'll lay hands on you. We'll pray for you. And the Archbishop of Ottawa came forward. I think it must have been Jesse. Grant, were you there at all? It must have been Jesse. Jesse was just a young guy. And here's the Archbishop bowing his head. And Jesse laying hands on him, believing that if he did it, it would be no different than if Jesus was doing it. Jesus touching him. I think that's the key. God wants to transmit things that are in our hearts or things that are in his heart through our hearts to their hearts. And he does it. It's kind of like booster cables. It's kind of like jumper cables where he could do it probably, but he wants, he's so meek, he wants us to participate. So uh, you lay hands on them. And, and you must believe, you must do it in his name. You must be aware that it's no longer you doing it. It's truly Jesus I picture, oftentimes, I'll picture Jesus slipping his hand into my hand. And I want them to feel Jesus. I want them to be aware of his love, be aware of his touch. But you, it, it takes faith. It takes faith. Now, why would God do this? Why would he set this up? Why, what, what's this thing about laying on of hands? One of the first guys in modern history that wrote about laying on of hands or, or experimented with a guy named Oral Roberts. Uh, not many of this generation knows who he, who he was. He's now in heaven. Oral Roberts was one of the biggest names in Christianity at one time. There was no one like him. He had the biggest meetings. He had the biggest tent in the world. And he was on television every week for a while. He was like Billy Graham, only he was... Pentecostal, and um, it was a sensation. He'd be on television laying hands on the sick, and you could see people being healed. It was a shock. He would turn his chair, uh, put it on the edge of the stage, turn the chair around so he had something to rest against, and thousands of people would line up. Do you remember these days at all? you remember 
I mean, there was no one like Oral Roberts at one time. And people would line up and walk in front of him, and he would lay hands on them. He laid hands on so many people that, that it, it ruined his own shoulder. It, he had to have an operation at one point in time to restore something in his shoulder because he laid hands on probably a million people. But he just believed that if he could touch them, Jesus would do something. So he popularized that, but not without criticism and not without, you know, people saying, why do you do it? Why do you have to touch? And so he come up, this was Oral Roberts' answer. This is, this is what I, I read about him. He, he realized that there's a thing called a point of contact. A point of contact. So say you're sitting there and I'm here and I preach something and you say, I believe. In your heart, you believe. But unless you can act on that belief, it doesn't produce anything. Somehow you're going to have to get up. That's what John the Baptist was doing, getting people water baptized. Is they could believe in their heart, but if they don't act on it, nothing, they won't remember it the next morning. You have to act on it. That's the lasting part of it. So what Oral taught about point of contact is, is there's something in our faith, there's something in our, the way we're built as humans that we, we believe, but nothing, you believe, but nothing changes until the moment you touch or are touched. In that moment, it releases your faith. The person praying for you, they can have faith in their heart, but it doesn't really get released until the moment you touch them. And the moment you touch them, it releases your faith. So that point of contact is huge. Uh, for example, you see it all through scripture, but for example, there's a woman, she's sitting on her front porch, a crowd is moving by, she's got an issue of blood, she's been bleeding, which makes her sociably unacceptable. She's not allowed to be with crowds, she's not allowed to touch people, she can't go to the synagogue. Uh, her, her, her rabbi would make sure she never uh, went anywhere or touched people, couldn't interact with people, she was socially unclean according to the law and you had to get a certificate from the priest that says you're clean and she she said in her own heart she said within herself if I could but touch the hem of his garment I would be made whole that's faith that's tremendous faith but it didn't heal her she's sitting on her porch and she's rocking I could picture in her rocking chair and I don't know if she's old or not but she's been sick for a long time and she spent everything she had, all her money, she spent on doctors to try to get better, and she couldn't get better. But she said, if I, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. Well, that faith is huge. That faith, that faith will get her healed. But while she's believing it, she's not healed. Do you see it? She's not healed. She's believing in fact, Jesus would eventually, within, within the next 15 minutes or so, will say, woman, your faith has saved you. Your, your faith has made you whole. So that faith that she had on her front porch was powerful. But it didn't do anything. She's got rocket fuel faith going off in her heart, but it doesn't produce anything until she touches. She's believed somehow, if I could... I could touch. In fact, I've been to the city where this miracle 
uh, took place, a place called Megala, and they have a mural on the wall, this massive mural uh, where they were uh, in one of the restored buildings of this moment where she's reaching down. All you see are the sandals of Jesus and the sandals of the crowd, and she's reaching down, touching the very bottom of his garment because she was healed in that moment. But she wasn't healed until there was a point of contact. The moment she touched him, Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. Who just touched me? And the disciples said, Master, there's such a crowd and people are jostling and the press is so good. How could you say who, who touched me? He said, no, no, virtue left me. Power left me. Power left me. Who and he, then he saw her face. And he saw... She was touched by the power of God. Something changed inside of her. He connected with her, expressed, it's your faith that healed you. Go your way. And uh, it was wrong for her to be in that crowd. No wonder she was afraid. But she was completely healed. But it was the point of contact. And it, and it doesn't seem to matter altogether whether it's the a point of contact from, from Jesus to them or them to Jesus, as long as someone believes. If you can get both parties to believe, man, you're, you're cooking with gas. Then you can really go somewhere. Jesus sees this blind man. And uh, he, takes, he takes him down to this Siloam, this stream, this pool, and he makes mud with spit. Takes some dry dust that's everywhere, spit into it. The man can't see anything. He's, he's blind. Everything's dark. And he begins to feel a hand on his face. And Jesus is compacting the, filling in the, the hollow place where there was probably no eyes. And he fills it up with clay. He said, now go wash. There's something in the touch. There's some, the clay had no power. Jesus' spit didn't heal anything. He didn't have holy spit. One guy, one guy he, he spit on someone in a meeting and they were healed. He had a big banner made, spitting Joe Calhoun or whatever his name was, you know. That if he could spit on you, you'd be healed. Well, it has nothing to do with spit. It's the point of contact that releases faith. Some people have holy oil. In fact, James said, anoint them with oil and they shall be made well. Oil doesn't do anything. Oil has no ability in itself to bring about total eye restoration or healing. I mean, olive oil will, you know, could be used for food, and fuel, and, uh, medical purposes. And if you got dry skin, put olive oil on it. It'll do the trick. But it's not the oil. It's not holy water. It's not holy spit. What it is, it's there's something in the touch, that moment of touch. And then when Jesus said, now go and do something, he steps out in obedience, acting on, on faith that's been released within him. Next thing you know, he comes back with a new set of eyes. And you see this all the way through the four Gospels. 
And um, uh, even the Apostle Paul, they brought a, uh, he couldn't get out, couldn't go anywhere, so they brought a handkerchief to him. They said, pray, pray for this and we'll take it to the sick person. He lays hands on a handkerchief, takes it, they take it to a sick person. There's, not only is the person made whole, but demons flee. That's powerful. But what it is, it's a point of contact. There's something, there's something in us that needs that release. And it's like the, the moment that I touch you, that's when I need you to release your faith. And that's, so just so you hear me, the spit doesn't heal. The oil doesn't heal. The water doesn't heal. The skin doesn't heal. The mud doesn't heal. It releases faith. At the same time, I, I remember one time uh, we had probably 150 people, tribal people, natives, uh, people with women, their faces are all tattooed, and uh, most of them have very little clothing, and they're primitive, primitive people. And there are probably about 150 of them came forward to be baptized in the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit fell on, on one, of the one of the young ladies. And so that's a lot of people to pray for. On the day of Pentecost, they actually got 3,000 people saved, baptized in water, and baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's a lot of, that's a long day. I was in a meeting one time in Chile, and we baptized 300 people. That's a lot of people. So 3,000. The only way I figured they did it between the 120 people doing the baptizing, they probably got newly wet people who are just ringing wet, got, turned them around and had them baptize somebody. Uh, to pray for 150 people is a lot. So I remember, and you're late, and you can't speak any of the language, and so you're just trusting the Lord that they're going to they're gonna get the Holy Spirit. And then they start speaking in tongues. I'll tell you, it's a profound thing to see someone whose face is all tattooed, rings in their nose and rings in their ears and a baby on their breast. And, and they look at you and you can see Jesus in them looking out through their eyes at you. You could feel Jesus looking, out, looking at you. Very, very powerful thing. But it's exhausting to, to pray for that many people and lay hands on that many people. And you stay with it until they're through and then you move on to the next person. And I happened to look over the, my partner who was with me on that trip and he lost interest. You know, probably prayed for five people and you get, your mind goes somewhere else. Maybe who knows what he was thinking about. He was just kind of leaning on them with his hand on their head like you'd lean on a fence post. And I looked over him, and he, he wasn't doing it in Jesus' name. Nothing was happening. He was, he was thinking about, you know, his mind was somewhere else, and he was just kind of going through the motions. <laughs> it made me very angry. Uh, and I remember trying to get his attention, said, in Jesus' name, <laughs> do it in Jesus' name. I mean, be intentional about it. His laying his hand on their head like that, limply and in, with indifference, had no more power than if he laid it on a fence post. I mean, nothing, nothing was taking place. One woman in India came forward to, uh, there was a man holding a crusade. 
and he was praying for the sick, and behind him was a big banner that says, uh, Jesus heals today. And after the meeting, she came up to him, and she said, do you believe this? And he looked at the sign, the big banner, and he says, yes, I believe this. And she pulled back her veil, and her face was one hideous mess of leprous boils, some of them running and broken, a horrible, horrible disease. She said, do you really believe this? Test what you believe when you see something like that, your knees buckle. He said, yes, I believe it. She said, pray for me. So he's going to lay hands on her. So he reaches in his back pocket, pulls out her a handkerchief to put over his hand so there's something between his hand and her running face. And Jesus reproved him. Jesus spoke to him so powerfully and said, I said, in my name. Jesus never put a handkerchief. He wasn't afraid of leper. He touched the leper. In my name. And the man was, was so convicted, he put the handkerchief back in his pocket and laid his hands on her face. In the, I think it was the next meeting, she came forward again and she said, do you, do you know who I am? And he says, no. And she said, I'm the woman you prayed for. And her face was completely made whole. But doing it the way Jesus would do it, <laughs> doing it for the reasons Jesus would do it. I was a camp pastor. I was, it was 1979. I'd been saved part of a year. And they, for some reason, they let me be the youth pastor at a camp for a week. And I wanted to bring all these young people into new life, the life that I'd just found, taking all these indifferent young people. And uh, one of the girls who was a, uh, the staff, like we had this staff of young, young people who were the counselors who slept in the bunkhouses with the kids and uh, teenagers, and um, she came to me early one morning, and she was so congested. And uh, she said, Pan, I, I don't think I can be with the kids today. I'm so sick. Would you pray for me? And I said, yes, I'll, I'll pray for you. So I, I prayed a little. I laid my hand on her, and I prayed this little prayer. And in my heart, I'm thinking, yeah, she'll be better in two weeks. You know, you get over, you can get over a cold. It was a, it was a severe cold, but, you know, give it a few days. And so that's what I was thinking in my heart. I turned around to go back in my room and Jesus stopped me in my tracks, cold. And he was, I could feel his anger. And he, I knew right away what it was about. I wasn't in his name. I was I was, I was just going through the motions of praying for her. I didn't mean it. I didn't believe it. I didn't even try to put my faith. I just figured, it's a cold. Bring me some leprosy kind of thing, you know. I don't want to fool around with colds. 
And uh, that's, that's where my mind was at that time. Well, he, he reproved me so powerfully, so thoroughly. I, I went and I found her. And I said, please forgive me. But I, didn't, I, I prayed for you, but I didn't mean it. I, I, I didn't put my faith into that. Would you let me pray for you again? And she said, would you? And when I prayed for the second, I just barely touched her, and she was instantly healed, instantly. Not, not the next day, not, the, not an hour later. That moment she was healed because I got my heart in line with the heart of, the heart of Jesus. That changes things. I don't have any power to heal. I'm not a healer. Jesus is the healer. He's, he's the one. Look at verse 20. He went with them everywhere, working with them. I want, I want Jesus working with me. Confirming the word through accompanying signs. It's Jesus that does it. So I don't, I don't want to set you up for failure. I don't think you can heal very well. I think, I think you can go through the motions of doing what Jesus did, but you're going to have to get in that heart. I, I wish I lived there. I don't. I get there, and I, sometimes I get there for a period of time, but I don't live there. I, I camp there sometimes, but I don't live there. I wish I could live there all the time. But I love the feeling of being in his name. I love, I love the, uh, the feeling of fear, the feeling of failure, the feeling, all those things, none of that, none of that matters. You just know you're not going to fail because you're in his name. Physical touch by itself doesn't do anything. Just laying hands on people doesn't do anything. You have to believe. You have to believe that he'll put his hand in your hand. And that moment of touch is when you release your faith. Um, here's some things that I, I just, as some guidelines. Uh, I don't believe you can extract healing, uh, sickness from people. Some uh, Native Americans and some New Agers they kind of like take healing. A voodoo priest in Haiti will take sickness into their own bodies. That's not what we're talking about. Um, I don't believe you can cram anything into anybody. So it's not forcefully putting your hand on them. It's not slapping them. It's not trying to make something happen. I don't think that can help at all. I think um, there's something I see people doing where, where they begin when they are praying, we'll have different times where we'll be praying for and they'll be massaging the person's shoulder. Uh, we jokingly call that the Pentecostal massage. That's not, that's not going to do anything. It's not massaging them. It's, uh, it's possible that you can lay your hands on a person in a way that's distracting. They're not going to be thinking about Jesus. They're going to be thinking about you. So we think it's really important where you lay your hands on. I don't think you have to lay your hands on the sick point. If their knee is bad, I don't think you have to touch their knee. If their kidney's bad, how are you going to touch a kidney? I don't think you have to touch the point. But some, if that's what releases your faith to touch that knee, then I suppose that's okay. But you don't have to. I think, I think it's, 
more important, just what I tend to do is I'll just very simply, simply lay my hand on their forehead, on the top of their head, or on both sides of their head. Uh, and that's enough. Uh, it's, I have put my hand on people's back and prayed for I remember praying for this girl down in Argentina one time, and she had just gotten saved in that moment. I just led her to the Lord. And she had a disease in her lungs. She could hardly breathe. Little skinny girl, could hardly eat. And, and she was really struggling to breathe. And she, was, she said, do you think Jesus could heal this? And I said, yes. And I put my hand on her back, and I could feel her lungs. I could feel her laboring to breathe in my hand. She was so skinny. And I, lay, I laid my hands on her in Jesus' name, and Jesus healed her. And it took her for a little bit to get the confidence to try to take a deep breath because if you haven't breathed and you, and you don't want to lose your breath, and, and, but there's that moment where when I, put, I, could feel, and I, I could feel her lungs go to normal in my hand. I said, go ahead and breathe. Go ahead. And, and she didn't want to. She was so conditioned to be afraid. But once she, did, once she did take a breath and she realized her lungs were healed, a very, very powerful moment. So I'm not saying you can't touch another part of their body, but my go-to is if I could just lay my hand on the top of their head, I just believe that whatever's wrong between their top of their head and their soles of their feet, the power of God can find that. I don't need to diagnose it. I don't need to know what's wrong or specifically what needs to be healed. I don't, I don't feel any need, any pressure to do that. I just need to believe that Jesus knows and he can touch them. People sometimes fall down. When you touch them, they will fall down. I, I just let that happen. I don't try to make them fall down. I never push people down. Uh, some people are disposed toward uh, falling. I, I, I've seen people where they want to fall. I just want to get them prayed for. So I, I would try to hold them up so I could pray for them, get something in them, and they're wanting to fall. And and so there's a kind of a tug of war. I remember this little old lady. She wanted to fall in the worst way. She'd seen other do it, other people do it, and it kind of look, makes it look like you're spiritual. <laughs> and so, so I'm holding her hand, and she wants to fall, but I don't want her to fall. I, I want to pray for her. And so her eyes are closed, my eyes are closed. But I could feel her slapping my hand to try to get me to let go. Finally, I just let her fall, let her, let her have her way. I see people here, um, sometimes holding their hand about two inches away from the person. They'll get up and they won't quite touch them. They'll just put their hand. That's, I, don't think, I don't think that's going to do very much. I think there needs to be a point of contact where they feel a release. Uh, sometimes we'll get a whole bunch of people laying hands on them and praying for them. And if that can release the love of God. That can release something. But... Uh, it's, it's kind of hard to know. I, I was praying with Lawrence one time. We had someone up front here. And um, we prayed for the person. They were instantly healed. But I didn't feel any power, any virtue going through my hand. I, I don't perceive any, but I thought Lawrence had it, that whatever was coming was going through him. I don't know if you remember that or not, but it was just, you could tell it's like, uh, it's like um, 
a bolt of lightning. It's like a power, a surge of power that is actually released. I don't become too dependent on that. If I don't feel something in my hand, then I'm going to believe. If I do feel something in my hand, I'm encouraged by it. It does help me. But we can become emotionally dependent upon a feeling. And, and I think that's going to be a disadvantage. Some, sometimes you're going to pray for someone and you're not going to feel anything. Uh, I've had that happen where I didn't feel anything at all. I went, I did it, I did it in compassion, I did it, trying to get my heart and the love of God, did it out of obedience, they were asking for prayer. It didn't look like any, if anything, it looked like they got worse. And then later that day, they'll come to the meeting completely whole, and you just know that it wasn't because you were feeling anything, 